Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. In this episode, we are going to be answering the question, what is the difference between Zen and Stoicism, and how do each of them differ from Zen Stoicism? So this is kind of an iteration of the very first episode of this podcast that had aired in the beginning, where we go into the definitions of Zen and Stoicism, as well as how they differ from the philosophy today. Now, since that time, the philosophy has developed, as you've heard in previous episodes from earlier this week, we've gone into the Zen Stoic intentions and delusions. And right now we're halfway through, we're going to be doing the next half of the intentions and delusions next week. So stay tuned for that. We're going to get into what Zen Stoicism is. And through that definition, I'm going to explain the difference between Zen and Stoicism, where some of them, as well as some of the drawbacks and how each of them can supplement each other. But through this particular episode, you're going to get an understanding of what Zen Stoicism is and the origin roots of Zen and Stoicism. Now, if you are well-versed in either Zen or Stoicism, and you maybe have some feedback or you have some questions or some things that you want clarified, remember, you can always send me an email at victor at zenstoic.com. You can send all your questions there, any feedback, anything that you agree with or disagree with. Keep in mind that this whole process is about pioneering the philosophy of Zen Stoicism. And every time I get on here onto one of these episodes, this is an iteration of the work. So the philosophy is consistently developing as a way of creating unshakable inner peace for people in a modern age. Right? We want this philosophy to respond to our lives today. So if you are well-versed, you've studied Zen or Stoicism, and you have some opinions, you have some questions, you have some comments, you have some feedback for me, feel free to send me an email Victor at zenstoic.com. All right, let's jump into it. So Zen Stoicism is a hybrid philosophy designed for the modern age with the aim of creating unshakable inner peace for the individual who chooses to practice the philosophy. Keep in mind, unshakable inner peace can best be described through the Japanese proverb of, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. So Zen Stoicism is inspired from Zen Buddhism and Stoic philosophy. Zen Stoicism seeks to harmonize the two fundamental experiences of our human nature, thinking and being. Thinking being on the Stoic side of things and being being on the Zen side of things. So through Zen, it seeks to capture the essence of non-dualistic presence, direct experience, and wholeheartedness of being. Through Stoicism, it seeks to capture the discipline of reason, consistent reflection upon and the testing of one's character and the embrace of the interconnectedness of our human nature, right? Our connection with each other, our need for each other as social beings. Zen Stoicism really wants to capture that from Stoicism when it comes to this philosophy and how to apply it in a practical, everyday way. So Zen seeks to be in the original mind, right? This is looked at as a state of purity in the present moment. In this state, mind and body are non-dualistic or are completely present in the moment, right? There's no separation. When we say non-dual, we don't mean necessarily one, but we mean two sides of the same coin. Completely present mind and body in the same place. That doesn't mean, you know, you're acting in one way and thinking in, in a completely different way. It's everything being here. It actually reminds me of uh, one of my favorite quotes from Alan Watts where he says, it's not spiritual to peel potatoes and think about God. It's spiritual to just peel the potatoes. So I, I always thought that was interesting because that is 
an expression of non-dualism. So typically, Zen is practiced in seated meditation called Zazen. Now, Zazen is not a practice to gain anything, but rather to express one's true nature in meditation. And Zazen does not have to take place in seated meditation. It could actually take place in any activity. And Zen itself is not a philosophy, but rather a direct experience or a way of liberation. Zen enters everything wholeheartedly without second-guessing itself, and its perfection exists in being completely, perfectly, and simply human. True Zen doesn't attempt to be anything special, it just is. Now, on the other hand, Stoicism can be captured with the four virtues, wisdom, justice, temperance, and courage. These four virtues can be pursued in all situations, and Stoicism asks us to determine what it is that is in our control and what is not in our control. And it asks us to bring our attention to the controllable and discard or embrace what we cannot control. The logic is that we can always choose to pursue one of these four virtues in any situation by using rationality and our own power of reason instead of allowing our emotions to overtake us. And as a sovereign being, while we cannot always control what is happening, in our environment or in our lives, we do have the agency to choose our response no matter what the situation is. So Stoicism believes that the good life is lived through virtue and that the actions in pursuit of virtue progress us even closer to the good life. Now, this is where Zen Stoicism comes in because a life of virtue does not necessarily equate to inner peace. We can do the right things and be acknowledged or praised for our good deeds externally. However, the quality of our personal experience is not about the good deed, but rather is about why we chose to do the things that we did or what we are going to do now or in the future. It all comes down to the intention that underlies our words and actions. We can deceive the world through our acts of virtue, but we cannot deceive ourselves about why we're doing something. There's no hiding our own intentions from ourselves, at least not long term. Now, the idea of using intentions for Zen Stoicism comes from the Eightfold Path of Buddhism in the right thought or right intention part of the Eightfold Path. This is about your thoughts and why you're doing things need to be coming from purity of mind, so capturing that essence of Zen in there. Now, unshakable inner peace doesn't mean that you have a pleasant experience constantly through life. Right. Remember, it's it's to be a warrior in the garden and the warrior in the garden is the one who has accepted the temporary nature of their experience, as well as the inevitable fragility of what it is to be human. They train themselves towards eliminating unnecessary or excessive fragility in their own humanity, physically, mentally and emotionally. But the warrior does not delude themselves into absolute anti-fragility. The warrior appreciates the beauty and the wonder of the garden that they're in. They love, cherish, and embrace the people and gifts within the garden with a sense of gratitude. But at the same time, the warrior seeks to put their own garden in order and accentuate its beauty before ever waging a campaign to save the world or to fix someone else's garden. The warrior always remembers their own mortality and that everything they love and hold dear can be taken in a flash. And this reality gives meaning to all things. I want to keep in mind that when we say the warrior in the garden, the garden is symbolic for our ideals and values in life. It can be an actual garden, but your garden could be your family. Your garden could be the career that you built. Your garden could be the relationship that you built or the lifestyle that you built. The garden is the ideal. The warrior is intended to protect the garden. If we are a gardener, 
just simply tending a garden and an inevitable storm comes through, that's where it's going to shake up our inner peace. Unshakable inner peace comes from being that warrior that is trained, that is preparing for these things, that acknowledges the fragility and the temporary nature of their lives and the fact that they're ideals are not invincible their ideals are subject to destruction so accepting this is part of what allows us to have that sense of inner peace now the warrior lives with unshakable inner peace not because they feel good all the time but because they accept who they are unconditionally unshakable inner peace does not pretend that it can escape suffering indefinitely but instead it finds its solace in self-acceptance when the inevitable battles and storms of life happen the warrior in the garden maintains unshakable inner peace because they accept themselves wholeheartedly despite what the outcome is relative to their ideals So to the warrior, it's not about winning and losing, achieving or failing, but it's instead about having peace around their own intentions and why they're doing things. Why they chose to do what they did or why they're about to do what they're going to do now is paramount. That sense of self-examination and reflection on one's own character is where that unshakable inner peace is created. And in this way, the warrior trains themselves so that when they do face the storms and battles of life, they do not lose their center while remembering who and what they are despite the suffering that they may experience. Now, Zen Stoicism aims to discover the intentions behind why we choose to say the things that we do or act the way that we choose to act. Unshakable inner peace is impossible without a sense of self-acceptance. A person can experience moments of inner peace, or pleasures without accepting themselves or really even knowing themselves. But that notion leads more toward, leans more towards being the gardener in the war, being completely vulnerable and unprepared for your ideals to be swept out from under you. Now, what separates unshakable inner peace from inner peace is the training that one does in the area of self-examination and reflection upon their own character. This is heavily influenced from Stoic philosophy. There's a consistent self-examination and weighing in on your own character, making sure that you're looking at yourself as objectively as possible in order to progress more towards what Stoicism or what your philosophy wants you to be. So it measures against an ideal and uses that as a form of accountability. And Stoicism is pretty similar when it comes to the intentions and delusions. So self-examination and reflection seem like they're an easy undertaking when they're discussed on the surface. However, sometimes this can be the most difficult thing that we do, right? It exposes the truth of ourselves in its entirety. The truths that we face in self-examination include the obvious parts of ourselves, which we are already aware of, but it also includes the things that we didn't realize about ourselves, most of which we cast in the shadows of our mind. Now, what lives in the shadows are the ugly truths about ourselves, the deceptive intentions that we might have, our delusional aspirations, our quirks, our fetishes, our own capacity for malevolence and ill will towards others. Not to say that we're going to act on it, but the fact that we have these thoughts sometimes or that we are at least capable of having these thoughts sometimes. And the reality of what lives in the shadows of our mind are our own deviations or denials of the truth of our human nature unpleasant thoughts, feelings, and memories get cast into the shadows of our mind in an attempt to avoid them as though they're somehow wrong or that we are wrong for even having them. Condemning what is unpleasant disconnects us from our nature and creates a sense of resistance. That's what we talked about in a previous episode when we talked about the intention of embrace. It's Embrace is not about condemning yourself, but appreciating yourself, accepting yourself unconditionally, seeing all these imperfections almost as gifts. 
We want to keep in mind that what we resist will persist until it is fully embraced and understood. Now, we want to keep in mind that battles and storms will always occur in our external world. But most of the time, they don't end in the external. Rather, they end up making their way into our internal world, and a new battlefield emerges in our mind, where we have to face and examine our own choices and behaviors. Because that's what we have to live with. This is why the intentions are so paramount in understanding, because our intentions are what we live with, despite what the outcome is. Whether we win, whether we lose, we'll be whether we get what we want or we don't, we have to live with the intentions of why we made the choices that we did in the first place. And that is what will weigh heavy on our hearts or what will liberate us. So keep in mind that as the warrior in the garden, it's about seeking to illuminate the things that we've hidden in the shadows. It's not a small undertaking. Through self-examination, through reflection, we have to come to terms with the things that we can't hide from ourselves, no matter how many virtuous acts that we do in our lives on the outside. We want to keep in mind that Zen Stoicism is not interested in how virtuous a life the practitioner lives. It doesn't care if a person says or does the right things. Instead, Zen Stoicism is interested in where one's intentions are with the things that they say and do. The intentions that one has are the filter through which they express their true nature, and an individual's intentions Make the difference between total self-acceptance and self-loathing. Self-loathing is, again, a form of resistance, like we talked about in a previous episode, that comes from the experience of being disconnected from your true nature and pretending to be completely connected at the same time. So that facade, the putting up a front, pretending that you're connected when the reality is you're completely disconnected, this is going to cause some unnecessary suffering. Now, Stoicism typically attempts to place the value of logic over that of emotions, whereas Zen sees both emotion and logic as equally illusory, being that they both create duality that disturbs the purity of mind. Thus, Zen would see the prioritization of logic over emotion or the substitution of emotion with logic as an error. And Zen would view the logic of Stoicism as a form of expedient attachment intended on moving somebody away from the unpleasant emotion or, as an illusion, hiding another illusion. While Stoicism sees that logic and reason as the best path towards the good life, Zen is interested in seeing where logic fails and thus seeks to transcend logic via the direct experience of the original mind, typically found in that seated meditation or Zazen like we were talking about before. Now, Stoicism may view Zen's style of action as impulsive, as well as having a lack in logical reasoning, or as impractical for living a virtuous life. With Zen using koans, which are riddles or sayings or stories that are used to induce doubt in order to spark sudden enlightenment, Stoicism would likely see that as a nonsensical or irrational practice. Both Zen and Stoicism would agree that the challenges in life are inevitable and that it is important to face them with a sense of equanimity. They each share the view that the present is all that is real and that we must live right now. The notion of pursuing pleasure or happiness to escape pain is an error in both schools of thought, and it only serves to compound one's suffering. So Zen and Stoicism complement each other well because when used in conjunction, Stoicism brings a sense of practicality to Zen's ambiguous practice that can actually be used in everyday life. 
Zen, on the other hand, loosens the rigidity of Stoicism's thinking to make it more human and less philosophically idealistic, being that Stoicism at times attempts to detach from emotions and remain rational all the time. Whereas Zen embraces the futility of this impossible feat, Zen in essence finds its sense of liberation in realizing the futility of our idealistic efforts as a means of expediting our suffering. Now, coming back to Stoicism again, Stoicism attempts to reduce the sensation of the ego and become more community-oriented for the purpose of being a better person to your fellow human. Zen sees the ego as another illusion that can be dissolved via the experience of non-self, which is found in the presence of original mind, something that one would typically find in meditation. Non-self is the experience that's found in the present where the belief of the ego is suspended and the individual no longer has the sensation of an individual experience. There's no longer any separation between body and mind, individual, other self and environment, as it all exists non-dualistically in the present. Zen does not believe that the ego exists, but is just an agreed-upon concept of tightly wound assumptions, convictions, and attachments about one's individual experience that could potentially become undone through meditation or through enlightenment. Now, Zen is a way of thinking that points to the direct experience of purity of being in the present, the original mind. The teachings of Zen Stoicism intend to be a tool used to study the self and the individual experience. They point to the self and allow for reflection to one's individual experience, but the teachings are not the self nor the individual experience. Zen Stoicism sees the ego as just another sensation that is part of the human experience. The ego is not the enemy nor something that we need to wage war against or campaign against. It's a sensation like the sense of smell or touch. It's, it's a more complex sensation for sure with many layers, but a sensation nonetheless that points to and measures the individual experience, but yet again is not itself the individual experience. Now the core of Zen Stoicism exists in what we've been talking about this week in the four intentions and the four delusions. The four intentions connect an individual to their true nature. The delusions disconnect the individual from their true nature. Neither is good or bad. They simply create the different experiences that both can ultimately lead to one's liberation. Now keep in mind the path of delusion is a path of excessive suffering and the path of intention is the way of the warrior in the garden. Zen Stoicism does not require anyone to subscribe to any particular doctrine or belief system. It simply provides a means of studying the self and pointing to one's liberation. The essence of Zen Stoic practice is rooted in the four intentions and four delusions. The four intentions, the four intentions aim at creating purity of mind and wholeness of being so that the individual's decisions throughout life connect them to their true human nature. When connected to their nature, an individual will become perfectly and simply human. The intentions cannot be deceived. And they provide a tool that acts as a self-governing system. And an individual can attempt to deceive others of what their intentions are, but they cannot deceive themselves. The attempt of self-deception is instantly felt emotionally as an impurity in one's nature from the original mind. Now, the delusions are to create an impurity that create an impurity of one's nature. When an individual is deluding themselves from their true nature, it is felt instantly as an unpleasant emotion of some kind. The feeling can range from a very mild agitation to extreme suffering. And delusions, in essence, are an attempt to deceive the self of one's intentions. 
The notion that life is suffering is due to the inherent fragility, limitations, and temporary nature of human existence, and a life lived in delusion brings about excessive and unnecessary suffering due to its attempt to avoid suffering. So in the resistance of actual suffering, that is how we actually compound and bring about more suffering. We use the delusions to resist suffering. They're all a form of expedience away from the unpleasant feelings. And we do them because we think that we're going to somehow one-up life or the universe. Now, the excessiveness of suffering has its place. If and when an individual requires it to bring about the experience of failure via a delusional value set as a path towards one's liberation. Now, this is a viable path and sometimes the soul's choice to do so. But to pursue life through the delusions will bring about excessive and unnecessary suffering. But as the old adage goes, a fool who persists in their own folly eventually becomes, eventually becomes wise. The wisdom is found in the suffering experience, in the failing of one's values. Now, there is great pain in this way, but it is a choice. Now, no matter what is going on in the external environment, the four intentions can be found in the present moment as a way of responding. The purpose of the four intentions is to connect the individual back to their nature, no matter the circumstances that they're in. Self-acceptance becomes an inevitable byproduct when one is living through, when a person is living through the four intentions. This is because any one of these four intentions points back to purity of mind, which shifts the paradigm of the individual so long as they're living through those intentions. This is a choice that the, indivi this is a choice that the individual has the free will at any moment to do. Zen Stoicism defines the self in the present moment. The self is the totality of things in which the individual is aware. The self is not defined by its past nor its or how the self defines itself in the present and gives way for an experience of the self that connects it to its true nature while pointing towards purity of mind. Making the choice to live through one or more of the four intentions is not a permanent solution to life's problems nor is making a choice through one or more of the delusions an automatic sentence to purgatory. This choice must be made consistently across the span of one's life. Life is a series of games with agreed-upon rules by the players. While playing one game, there are constant moments of decision when a player can choose to operate through an intention or delusion. And this is what gives the gift of free will its meaning. It is the ability to choose at any moment how an individual will respond to the external circumstances. If a person has lived for years or even decades through delusions, they can still turn a new leaf if they choose to. In fact, for some individuals, the experience of delusion that fails on them multiple times is what gives weight or value to the idea of living with the countering intention instead. On the flip side of the coin, even if an individual has lived for years or decades through intention, they can choose to spiral into delusion. The point here is that the present is where the direction is set and the past does not define a person's direction or destiny. It's like Alan Watts has talked about in many of his lectures. The past is merely a wake left behind by the ship. The wake does not give any indication as to where the ship is going, nor its capability to change course. It only shows where the ship has been. Like, and like the wake, the past fades with time. When a new decision is made in the present to change the direction of the ship, the wake changes. Temporarily, the new wake will, will overlap with the old wake and the past will feel inconsistent. So if you make a change today, you'll start leaving an old wake. Now, this will create the temptation to return back to the old course and remain consistent with the old wake of your ship. 
but this is not ideal, nor is it necessary. We don't have to be one way because we've always been that way in the past. Remember, your past is just awake. It's not who you are today. So keep in mind, the four intentions can be used as a means of pivoting or changing direction when one is living through the four delusions. It's to create a practice of consistent self-reflection and examination of one's true intentions in all situations. At times, it can feel like our soul is fragmented, with parts of it trapped in the past with unresolved emotions and memories. And part of reconciling and liberating the fragmented parts of one's soul that appear to be stuck in the past is to examine your intentions and fully process old conflicts and old emotions until all of the lessons that are needed have been learned and integrated with your soul. That is what brings you back to the present moment. That is what the intentions allow you to do. If you look back and you see times where you were operating in delusion, there is much wisdom to be gained, many lessons to be learned from that. In the present, your emotions will act as a compass to indicate whether you're being intentional or delusional. Pleasant emotion will typically indicate intentionality, whereas unpleasant emotion will typically indicate delusion. So Zen Stoicism is a philosophy that is practiced in the present moment. It's practiced in the present moment by pointing, using the intentions to point towards purity of mind and original nature. You use your logic and rationality from Stoicism to discern where you're at and whether you're in intention or in delusion. You'll experience that sense of purity of mind, that sense of presence, when you're living through intentionality. On the other hand, when you feel like you're not present, when you feel like you're disconnected, when you're experiencing an excess of unpleasant emotions, it's very likely that you're in a place of delusion. So Zen Stoicism is here to create that sense of unshakable inner peace that comes from examining your intentions seeing whether they connect you back to your humanity or they're disconnecting you and leading you into the obscurity of delusion. So that is what Zen Stoicism is. I know I went on for a bit there, (laughs) but this is the best that I can describe it uh, for anybody who is resonating with this content and interested in learning it. This is what the philosophy is about. That is where Zen and Stoicism integrate and where the roots of Zen and Stoicism have grown into this new hybrid philosophy. So if this resonated with you, if you have any questions, if you have any feedback, if you have anything that you agree or disagree with, feel free to email me, victor at zenstoic.com. I would love to hear from you. It always means the world to me when I hear from one of our listeners about how the podcast has helped them with something or you know how it has cause them to look at life in a different way or take a new perspective. These are things that really and truly touch my heart. And I'm so very, very thankful to all of you who listen to the Zen Stoic Path. So thanks so much. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.